Whoa, do you hear that? Hear what? Well, I'm getting a buzz. I'm trying to figure where it's coming from. It's gone now, but... Welcome to the well. I am Brandon Edgens. And I am Anson Mount. And what are you up to right now, Anson? Uh, right now I'm enjoying a weekend. Um, I'm, I'm batching it. My my wife and daughter have gone to visit family in Edmonton, and I'm here with... Um, we, well, we put two two dogs into boarding, and I decided to keep Jax at home. Uh, so it's just him and me. Why were the other two segregated? Uh, well... I'm working for mm-hmm. one and Jax just happens to be the easiest dog and he doesn't really like to be put in boarding. So I figured <laughs> I'd take him to work with me for a little while. How's Jax enjoying your, uh, enjoying take your dog to work day? He's, he's the best man. He's like, he's, as you can imagine, he's excited to go to my trailer. He's excited to go to hair. He's excited to go to makeup. He's excited to go to set. He's excited to sit and wait. He's excited to go home. It's just like, <laughs> he's the happiest dog. He must he's be very, here. he must be what? very popular with the rest of the cast. Oh, very, very. And he's sitting, he's looking at me and wagging his tail right now. Apparently he's excited that we're recording. Oh yeah. Every, everything is his favorite. It's that meme. My favorite. <laughs> yeah. Going to set. Yeah. My favorite. <laughs> Quiet all around, my favorite. Uh, does he? Does he? Does he haunt the um, the honey wagon? The- uh, no, no, no. He's really good. He's very, very good. Oh, but we know that Jax is super food motivated. Yeah, he is definitely. <laughs> <laughs> he's the most optimistic dog in the world. He, every time we're in the kitchen, he thinks he's going to get something. And we say, no, Jax, no. And he'll like tuck his tail between his legs and he'll walk around the kitchen island. And by the time he gets to the other side of the kitchen island, he'll be like, eh? Yeah. Ready? Now? How about now? I wonder yeah. if he's like, no, no, that was a different dog. <laughs> that was different guys, man. That's, I'm a different guy. And tries it again. Just keeps walking back. I know I've, I've, at your place, I've had that experience of him just walking around that island, just like reemerging, sticking his little head out from under, from around the island, looking at you going, how about now? <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's amazing, right? That's a amazing thing about dogs. It yeah. just the optimism never dies. <laughs> yeah. Hope springs eternal. Maybe this time it'll be this time for sure. For sure. Despite a hundred no's in a row. Maybe a hundred one is yes. You might hear him because right now he's he's he knows I've got one piece of bacon left next to the computer and he knows it's there. So he's starting to beg. You might hear him huffing and puffing. Well, I am in Georgia right now with my mom, staying at my mom's place. And um, we have, there are two animals here. There's a little Westie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why, why am I missing the full name? The nickname is Westie. It's a West Highland Terrier. That's right. right. Um, uh, very cute, very willful. Uh, and a... Uh, and kind of an evil cat. Um, mm. It's a it's a beautiful cat, but we suspect once upon a time it was attacked by we think a bobcat, and it has PTSD. And now it's just you never know what that thing is going to do, <laughs> and it's so unpredictable. 
and it has I've got band-aids all over my feet from uh, this thing attacking me. So we started drugging it with gabapentin. Uh, it was given to us, you know, don't no one get upset. It was given to us by a vet. It's safe. Um, but we've been giving him lots of gabapentin, which is actually an anti-convulsant. Uh, they give it to humans for restless leg syndrome. And um, it seems to be working, but I do have to give this cat a very, very high dose in order for it to start working. <laughs> <laughs> and now he just kind of goes to sit on the couch and kind of zone out. <laughs> he's just Does staring it- straight ahead like, oh, yeah, yeah, he's 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 doped up. <laughs> Does it do that thing where you're walking across the room and it'll dart out from under a bed and like attack your ankle and then run away again? Kind of. He's that's that's more of a play behavior. Um, mm. This one's worse because I'm just trying to feed him, you know. So I'm just like I'm walking <laughs> with the. What happens is I'm walking with the bowl and have the bowl way out in front of me because I want to get him as far away from me as possible. And he kind of stays directly under the bowl, looking up at the bowl, like here it comes, here it comes, here it comes, and then. I can't, I have to walk. I have to move towards, you know, where I'm going to put the food bowl down. And then invariably my socks sneak up on him and, uh, <laughs> and he realizes what's that? And he turns it like, <laughs> very loud, you know, <laughs> you know, sinks his claws into my foot. And I'm like, yeah, I heard this thing. Uh, if you uh, put a cucumber behind the cat while it's eating, and it turns around, it'll, it'll like hit the roof. I've tried that with uh, Dusty and had no effect, but I have seen the compilations of that. Uh, the theory goes um, that it looks like a snake. Right. Um, that anything kind of on the ground and long and, <laughs> and legless <laughs> is uh, reminds them of a snake and they, uh, yeah, and they freak out. Anyone can look this up on YouTube. Uh, but yeah, as a compilation of cats like turning around, seeing a cucumber, and just like springing straight up in the air that in that comical way that cats can do. Um, but anyway, that's 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 the news down here in Georgia at the moment. Well, um, I guess we're doing a drop. Uh, it it this is something that we've been doing where we just sort of share with you guys what we've been seeing and watching. Uh, reading, hearing about that uh, might be of interest to you, and so Brandon, what do you what do you got? Uh, well, um, this really cool thing happened. Uh, I don't know if you remember or not, but uh, I went to a premiere for Star Trek. Um, <laughs> uh, that was really, really that was a fun time. That was a fun time. I enjoyed. it. We had a great night. Um, I didn't know you were in it. <laughs> it was such a surprise to be sitting in the theater and be like, oh, my God, that's what he's been doing. <laughs> I'm so glad you you and Sharon could could join me. And along with our other friends, Andrew and Anna were there, Rick, Billy, my, my manager, Emily. We had a, it was a really it was a really fun evening. It really was. Uh, the spirits were high and everyone was just such a good mood. Everyone was very sweet. Um, and I know that on this podcast, we try to like stay away from basically your career and making this all about Star Trek. But I do want to mention probably one of my favorite moments of the night was this. There was that. How, how were the fans chosen that came in? Cause it was a lot of, I, I'm not really sure. Yeah. But it was mostly kind of mostly industry people there, right? People involved in the show. The cast, well, there was the a crew. whole other, there was a whole other theater. Oh yeah. That's right. Screening that's right. at the same time. That was just fans. Yeah. 
That's right. But there's some fans in the theater with us too, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, right. And there were some of them were dressed up. And um, one of my favorite moments of the whole thing was after it was, you know, we watched the first two episodes and nice big reaction. You know, everyone was coming up to talk to you afterwards. And these, these guys were, they're fans that just wanted so badly <laughs> to meet Captain Pike. And the expression on their face was beautiful. They were just so excited. Now, for some reason, that's my takeaway of the whole evening was seeing some of these, seeing how jazzed uh, these fans were. It was wonderful. It's it's really flattering, and I'm I'm so glad we got to experience that with real Trek fans. Um, yeah, yeah, and 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 I and I have to say how bizarre it still is to hear my own voice saying that famous speech over the opening credits. Uh, it's, I, I assume it was, it was strange for my friends as well. <laughs> I think it was probably stranger for you. <laughs> uh, uh, no, because we, we expected it. And even though you expect it, it's still a, it's a meta thing for you. It's, it's yeah. obviously very, very, very different. Um, but other than that, um, um, I've been working a lot. So I know that you and I, and, and I know you have too, but one thing that we were able to uh, do more or less together on the same track was watch Severance. Yeah, it, man, it, they really knocked this one out of the park. And I, and I, and I heard through the grapevine, uh, by the way, this is a, a television show we're talking about called Severance on Apple TV. And I've, and it's, uh, m- a lot of it, maybe most of it, was directed by Ben Stiller, who also produced it. I found out that uh, the pilot was actually a spec script. Now, spec scripts are scripts that are written by usually younger writers who don't have a lot of credits, who are trying to get hired into a writing room, and so they'll they'll just they'll write something that they would want to make. That you know, it's just to show off what it is that you can do with dialogue and screenwriting. And it's usually just used as a calling card. Well, this was a a spec script that was written by an uncredited writer who just randomly sent it to Ben Stiller's company and they read it and uh, decided very quickly they wanted to make it. Uh, So this is just sort of a a lightning out of the bottle um, original idea. It strikes me sort of like um, an episode, what it would be like for an episode of Black Mirror to become an entire series. That's incredible. I, I didn't know that part about the, um, that aspect. How does that, how does that work? And who was that? We should probably, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't know. Um, definitely must be created, uh, credited as a creator on the, yeah, on I the think series. It, it was a name I didn't recognize. Let me look it up real quick. Cause that guy deserves some credit. <laughs> Uh, that, and how does that, how does, I mean, how does a spec thing like that and get into the hands of a production company? Um, usually through agents, mm-hmm. uh, um, you know, who are trying to place young writers into various writing rooms. Uh, that's sort of how you start as either as an assist, a, a um, writer's room assistant or as a, a junior writer on a, an established TV show. I think it's probably Dan, Dan Erickson is going to be i don't know that for sure it says creator he's listed as the creator mm. so i'm imagining that has to be it must have been his spec script but um but what a show yeah 
Yeah. And for, for people who aren't familiar with it, the, the premise is essentially near future. And the idea is that we've developed this technology for um, the, in which for, for, for high security jobs, uh, the workers, when they go in and when they come out, they have no memory of what they did at work or what they do at work. So that it sort of splits them. And so what this ends up being is that there's a, there's a personality that develops at work and the personality that lives outside of work. And they start to get curious about each other. Um, that's, that's sort of the, the premise, but it has so many different implications. And obviously it's a, it's a big allegory for capitalism, uh, run amok. And, uh, what you start to realize as you get into the nitty gritty of the show is that, uh, it's basically a, a, a kind of slave labor because these people don't know anything outside of the office. So to them, it comes time to go to to leave work. They get in the elevator, and the elevator starts to go down, and suddenly the elevator is going back up, mm-hmm. and they're mm-hmm. and they're back at work. So they they live in the office, and and just the 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 way that they portray the difficulty of maintaining a sense of purpose in that is really well done. What what a sort of perfect metaphor that is for that sense of how the soul crushing drudgery of office life, which it nails because there's that sense of, like you said, you know, like that that, that feeling of, wasn't I just here? (laughs) Yeah. And so I guess it's not really about capitalism run amok as much as it is about corporate power run amok. And Mm -hmm. in, in, in it's, it really, it, it, it almost it forces you to really confront um, how powerful corporations are becoming in the United States and and the the amount that they're getting away with. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, it's definitely science fiction, but it has a lot to say. Yeah, and there's that sort of there's that sort of worship, the cult around the the visionary <laughs> leader, right? Yeah, yeah, which sounds very familiar. To right now, I mean, it's it's, it's actually it's it's that's been that's very a very American thing for quite some time, you know, this hero worship of billionaires and visionaries, right? Yeah. Um, and and people start kind of sacrifice. It becomes a cult. I hadn't thought about it that way, but it is, you know, uh, people become willing cult members to these um, billionaire visionaries because mm-hmm. that's where the power is. People want you know, to be near power. People will will do that to themselves. Um, but I think the most potent uh, element of it is that, in this case, you know, they make it literal that split between uh, work life and home life. Their innies and their outies, and uh, how much of their you know, the sacrifice, I keep thinking, I keep coming back to that, you know, like this, this controversial procedure of severance is the sacrifice that you make to literally tear yourself in half so that you can work more effectively. Yeah, but, and, but the, yeah, and then the characters, but the, the benefit to the characters who live outside is they, the, from their point of view, they don't have to work. Right. Their point of view is you go into work, you, the elevator starts to go up and then the elevator's coming down, you go home. That's all you got to do. 
So it, 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 they're, they have no incentive to let their innies out. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's, it's really, it's a great dramatic setup. Right. Holding yourself hostage to this, yeah. to this yeah. thing. I mean, that's, that to me, that's, that's, that's what I love about it so much The the way it puts, it pits an individual against themselves. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's brilliant. And, and we, we got this far and didn't even mention how brilliant the, uh, uh, the art direction, just the formal oh. aspects of the filmmaking art. It's just so it's beautiful. well shot. It's so beautiful. I mean, it's the only credit sequence I can't skip through. It's, uh, I mean, just the credit sequence is gorgeous. And yeah. I don't know who's responsible for that, but it's its own little piece of artwork. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And and also just the the feat of taking something that, that has to be portrayed as drab and monolithic and, and finding a, a way a, a perspective into that. That's, that's um, from a cinematography point of view is quite beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, yeah, can't recommend it highly enough. Great performances. Um, and, and they what? clearly, if it's, it's when it's, you know, it's when I look back on it, it it's, because of the tone of the show, you'll realize they, they never do any exteriors, at least from what I remember. They, they do almost no ex- exteriors on sunny days. It's like it's always overcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's an incredibly well controlled. Everything about that show is just so, so locked down and, and tight. And, and also, it might be one of the most thrilling season in cliffhangers I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Really, really great season ending. I was, you know, borderline angry. Um, you know, I, you could hear a collective, uh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> Not now. It's, it's almost cruel to cut it off right where they did, but wow, they're going to have a, 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 a they're going to have a very, very, very big audience for when it comes back. You know, at one point, probably while we were at your place and probably drinking, we we had a pact that we were going to go see Top Gun two together. But mm. I don't think I don't think that's going to happen. You're in Toronto, yeah. and I'm not, and I'm not going to wait, man. I'm going to go see it. <laughs> I don't blame you. I can't wait. Uh, yeah, it's it's that it looks it looks fantastic. I think for people who aren't in the industry. I don't know if people understand how, what a rare thing the first one was in terms of how it was made. It was made with a cooperation of the U S Navy. There was no other way to do it, but it was a, you know, it's a studio film that was made possible through a cooperation with the department of defense, which is odd. And <laughs> they did it again for this one. It's the only way to do this kind of a thing. And, you know, people are going to feel the difference between trying to do this stuff with CG, trying to do it with models versus capturing it live uh, with these really innovative camera systems they came up with. You feel that, that those, cause those jets are monsters, yeah. you know, and unless you have the sound and fidelity to capture the sound of those things, it's hard to understand what a beast those pilots are controlling up there. Yeah. Yeah. It really, it really looks phenomenal. And it, it, it's just such a piece of nostalgia from our childhood. Um, you know, I, every, 
I just keep, I, I did, is, did Kenny Loggins do the song for the movie this time? I don't know. Highway back to the danger zone. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, <laughs> by the way, just why not? This is, we're, we're just uh, chatting here, but for some reason I have this strange memory back when my dad was in the uh, nursing home um, and they have the, uh, a section, a wing of the nursing home, which is for physical therapy. And, uh, you know, and you only you've seen these rooms for, for, you know, old people, it's kind of like a, uh, parallel bars and, uh, right. things like that for them to just balance on and walk on and whatever. Sure. And one day I just, I'm just wandering around and I happened to find myself down at that end of the, um, at the end of the nursing home. And I poke my head in there and there's a couple of people in there with, you know, with their, um, trainers and assistants being helped, you know, taking a step up and a step down and these very slow little movements. And they had a boom box over in the corner. And for some reason, as soon as I looked in, it started playing. It was, you know, you know, and I thought, well, that's funny. Highway yeah. to the danger zone. <laughs> and, I, and I thought it's ironic, but it's also true. <laughs> Hey, uh, sorry. Go ahead. No, 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 that was it. Um, I got a, I got another uh, TV show I've been meaning to ask you about if you've, if you checked it out. Um, have you seen Pam and Tommy on Hulu? Oh yeah, we talked about that a little bit. Did yeah. we? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I really, my wife and I watched this whole thing because be, my wife is, she's quite a bit younger than me, so she has no memory of the Pam and Tommy sex tape scandal. Um, and. And actually, I should ask you, Brandon, did you ever see the sex tape? <laughs> of course I did. I think I think we all did. I, but here's the thing. I can't remember how I saw it. I can't remember where it came from, what medium That's it was true. on. Before it's just, Yeah, but it's like there was a moment that came that sort of like it was just it was just there. Um, and and this is a. Uh, there was a, apparently an article that was written about uh, about th- th- how that that sex tape got out uh, that came out not too long ago, and then Seth Rogen produced this, and uh, and Seth plays the guy who stole the tape in real life, and they tell the story of how of how this happened, and what I what I really love about the series is that. Um, it kind of predicts that you, that we're going to be coming at it uh, ready for uh, um, um, a really broad comedy, and we're going to be looking at Pam and Tommy as these kind of caricatures that we've made them out to be in the media. And so it, it kind of plays into that. But then by the end of the series they have lulled you into seeing these people as real people dealing with a horrific situation. And, and by the end, it is just a gut punch. It is, um, it made me feel terribly guilty, uh, that I had ever laid eyes on this, on this tape as it should. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, you don't think about these things when you're not in 
you know, I was not yet in the position that I am now. So for me at that time, I kind of, I don't know, I, you know, we have this weird sense of ownership over celebrity. Um, it reminds me of that time not too long ago. There was the, there was the, um, I photo break in scandal and all these nudes of celebrities were going around and, um, how distasteful that was. This is like that times 11, Um, and, and what I didn't realize is how much money other people made on, on this crime. Um, and, and I, and I also have to say how amazing the lead actors were in, in this show, Sebastian Stan and Lily James, Seth, Mm -hmm. everybody, it was so well cast and my goodness, the transformation of Lily James and Sebastian Stan into these people mm-hmm. was astounding. Uh, they really, they just nailed it. I didn't, uh, I didn't actually finish it, but now that you've, I think I got how many, I don't know many episodes there were. I know I got over the halfway point. I think it's about eight. Yeah. And I know I got at least five or six in there at least, but for some reason, something, you know, how did you get busy? But I really liked it, but now I'm, you've, you've reminded me, I need to go back and finish it. Cause I, I'm curious about this gut punch you're talking about, but I can see, I can see where it was going. I mean, I already felt badly for them, you know, when yeah. you see what a, you know, what an intensely private thing uh, it was always intended to be. And uh, yeah, you see how, see how it hits them. And you watch them in denial, trying to pretend that it's no one's going to see it. Yeah, and they keep yeah. because they know it's been stolen, and uh, they know it's going to get out there. But they keep hoping that it's limited, and that was a sad thing to watch because you already know how that part ends, right. and that it's going to be everywhere. And then being asked about that's right, and then she was asked about it by Leno, right? Yeah, God. That was part of the sickness. Yeah, absolutely. Of, of the whole culture, just zero sympathy and just thinking that this whole thing is a joke. Yeah. The sense of propriety that we in this culture have over celebrities um, or the the pervasive uh, assumption that they are these flat-screened characters that we can turn on and turn off is uh is really it's insidious and it's well uh explored in this series um oh here's a movie i don't think you've had time to see it and i don't know know how much i want to say about it um the northman yeah it was i you know i i've i I I don't know if i'm gonna see it um i I, i'm you, you and i are both big fans of Robert Eggers, the the filmmaker. And there were high hopes, uh, to this, in this, for this film in the critical community. Um, I had heard somewhere, uh, this may be apocryphal, but he had originally planned all these things for this movie. They got changed (laughs) as it will happen in the land of commerce when you suddenly start getting big budgets and a lot of other people are pulling the strings. I had heard that he originally planned to to do the whole thing in Icelandic, Uh, not just shoot in Iceland, but, but it was because these are old Norse characters. He wanted to do it in, in the language. 
uh, that may be apocryphal, but, but I've also heard that, that, that it was a, um, bit of a contentious process. Yeah. Uh, he hasn't said a whole lot in of detail about that. Um, um, but I kind of put two, there's, he hasn't, he hasn't mentioned this directly, but for example, in the witch, he's such a stickler for details, historical accuracy, um, that when he watched, um, when he rewatches the witch and he sees the main character was Anya Taylor Joy's character has pierced ears and it mm. drives him in, and it drives him insane. Um, mm. and that, and you know, he's, he's the kind of guy who's like, despite how great that movie is and how, how much I love it and how awesome it is. He's just looking at her ears. <laughs> <laughs> he's really he's, bothered by it. And there was a detail. I mean, who knows how many, how much studio interference there was in the Northmen. I'm sure there, there was quite a bit because there's a lot of money on the line and that's what they do. There's, here's one, just knowing him and knowing something that I know hurts his, hurts his, hurts his ears listening to it in the Northman is whenever someone draws their sword out of their scabbard or puts it back, it makes a <laughs> sound, which you know they don't make because <laughs> scabbards are leather. And if you're putting a metal sword into a metal scabbard, you're just going to dull it. And, but the problem with that, now you can already hear the note coming from the suits, you know, like it's not dramatic when he takes his sword out, it doesn't make a sound. And I'm sure Robert was like, cause it wouldn't make a sound. And they're like, nah, let's put a sound in there. <laughs> 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 These are the little battles that directors have with studios all the time. And for someone like him, that must be excruciating because he's so careful about every little detail. Um, Really yeah. And it's stuff. Well, it's stuff like that, that kind of habitry that mm-hmm. unfortunately tends to date things, mm-hmm. you know, that when we go back and we look at a movie is made in a certain period, um, th- those things get big and they jump out to us now because they're so clearly a product of the habitry of the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, but I, d- despite the, uh, inaccurate scabbard sounds, um, I really liked it a lot. I do. I've, I never say this, um, about a movie. I can't recommend it to everyone because it's, it's, vi- it's, it's not just, it's violent. It's not just that it, it's not gory necessarily, but I haven't seen a more, aggro and more just soaked in testosterone it's almost funny um everyone in it is just right on the edge of ripping someone's face off (laughs) (laughs) it's everyone and i read the for some reason i read the poetic edda the sort of collection of norse old norse poems and epic their epic tales Huh? The saga, the sagas, the sagas. Thank you. Um, a couple of years ago, actually in anticipation of, of the Northman coming out. And I would say he got the, it feels like those sagas, the parts that I remember it's, um, it stays true to it. It's mostly a lot of, um, adventuring. There's a lot of 
exiles and returns, there's a lot of revenge. The whole thing is revenge. But my favorite part is that there's just a lot of um, old Norse shit talking. <laughs> there's lots of people. There's lots of amazing threats and people screaming from tops of mountains like, you're not going to believe what I'm about to do to you. <laughs> <laughs> but screaming it. And uh, it's intense. It's an intense movie. And I just, I don't know how they made, how the actors and how everyone just maintained this aggression for the whole thing. I mean, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's, it's almost tiring um, by the end, but uh, and then the last thing I'll say about it is Skarsgård. It's Alex, right? It's Alex yeah. Skarsgård, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. He is a beast in this thing. He's a one of the most intimidating things I have ever seen on a screen in this movie. He just looks feral and just jacked and just a just a killing machine. <laughs> So, anyway, that's the Northman. You're warned, everyone. <laughs> if, if, if you like, if you like super aggressive uh, movies, revenge films, this this is your movie. Um, well, I've been reading some short science fiction recently. Um, I kind of downshifted, you know, with the baby here. I'm, I have more limited attention span, so I've been diving into some of some of the great short works. And um, I read a collection by Sishin Liu, who wrote the Three-Body Problem trilogy. And mm -hmm. there is there is one story of his that was in this collection that I, I've been meaning to get this, to, to send this to you, because I think you'd really dig it. It's called Cloud of Poems. And... The setup is that <laughs> it starts with a, a guy who is, um, he's m maybe the last remaining human, one of the last humans. Uh, he's in the uh, shirt pocket of a Tyrannosaurus Rex who's in a giant spaceship fleeing the solar system because it turns out the dinosaurs had actually been an advanced species who just left the Earth and then came back to reconquer it. And now they're done with it and they're going to go conquer another solar system. Now that's the first like page of this story. Oh my God. Yes. Send that along. <laughs> and then they get called back because apparently this, this uh, super advanced intelligence uh, has showed up. This godlike intelligence has showed up and is asking for a, meeting with uh with the the dinosaurs to to figure out what their game plan is so uh the tyrannosaurus rex is like all right well i'm not gonna eat you yet you're coming with me and they go and they land on this like this like flat plane in the middle of space and there's this glowing orb that is the intelligence and the rex starts his meeting with this intelligence and and it's like what is that thing in your pocket and he's like oh it's a human we just keep we herd them for food um, but I was about to get rid of him. He's like, well, the dust bin's over there. So Rex comes and he's about to throw the human into this, like, you know, dust, this, this astral dust bin where he'll be torn to shreds. And, uh, and the, the guy says, you may be godlike, but you could never write a poem like the greatest 
Chinese poet ever that ever existed. And the guy goes, wait, 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 wait. What? <laughs> and he goes, yeah, you could do all these things, but you can't never write a poem like my favorite poet. Like you, like you just don't, you may know everything, but you don't know what it means to be human. And the, the God says, bring him back over here. <laughs> and, he, and he says, I could never write a, I could never write a great poem, huh? <laughs> he was like, no, you'd have to be human. And he goes, uh-huh, uh-huh. So he like takes a piece of hair of the human and then like suddenly he turns into this like giant embryo and then like in a minute he like births himself as a as a human and he's like oh, all right let's do this <laughs> summons a table and an inkwell and a and a quill and a parchment and he sits down at the table and the guy and then and suddenly he's like hmm huh. <laughs> he can't he can't figure out what he wants to write about it's like, all right. And he summons a bottle of sake and he gets tremendously drunk and he vomits everywhere. And he's like, all right, well, what did this poet do? And he's like, well, he would go on pilgrimages. He's like, all right, we're going back to earth. So go back to earth. And like, and then the story jumps like 10 years later and the God is coming back from his pilgrimage. He's like, all right, here's what we're going to do. <laughs> Instead of writing a poem, <laughs> I'm just going to take this Chinese uh, structure this form of the poem, and I'm going to figure out every iteration of every. I'm going to I'm going to figure out every iteration of every Chinese character, and I'm going to produce all of them. And somewhere in there will be the greatest poem. And then they quickly figure out that in order to do this, it, in order to do that, it would use up the entire matter of the solar system. And then hijinks really begin to ensue. <laughs> Um, it's, it's one of the funniest science fiction stories I've, I've ever read. Uh, and it comes from a completely different mind, a completely different culture and a completely different language. And, um, and I just, just, I just, it, 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 it shows you the universality of the hilarity that is ego. Oh my gosh. What's it called again? One more time. It's called cloud of poems. Cloud of poems. You have to send that to me. Yeah, I will. Um, what else, what else you got, bro? That's about it. Um, I can, uh, very quickly. I, there's some excerpts from a book that are funny. I can read that. Mm, Okay. It's a book by Adam Sharp that was just published and it was called euphemisms that get on my, you know, (laughs) what's and, uh, (laughs) It's a list That's a great of, title, I gotta say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it is, uh, uh, I guess he just found idioms from around the world and found the equi- found their equivalents. And I thought they were funny. Uh, for example, raining cats and dogs in Wales, raining old ladies in sticks. <laughs> in Greece, raining chair legs. In Czech Republic, raining wheelbarrows. Wishes of ill fortune. In Poland, may a goose kick you. In in Greece, may your VCR catch fire. What? May your VCR catch fire. <laughs> That's so weird. Yeah, it's very weird. Uh, in India, this one makes sense. May your mother-in-law's curry get burnt. <laughs> uh, pot calling the kettle black in Hungary could be Owl calling the sparrow big headed. 
<laughs> in France, hospital mocking charity. In Japan, this is a weird one. Mucus, mucus laughing at nose dirt. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, oh, there's a few. Of these. I got. I got. I can't do all these. Um, uh, oh, when pigs fly in Thailand, when Seven Eleven closes, <laughs> that's fantastic. That's an amazing one, isn't it? Um, yeah. I don't care. In Denmark, might be expressed as it bothers me like a cardboard duck. <laughs> Um, oh, this is a great one. This is really clever. Mind your own business. In France is deal with your own onions. <laughs> In Lithuania, not your pigs, not your beans. <laughs> and in Spain, this is my favorite. In Spain, it is who gave you a candle for this vigil? <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Yeah, that's a very good one. And then finally, dying. In Denmark, putting your clogs at putting your clogs aside. Hmm. Ah, sad. In Russia, throwing out your best skates. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. The Well is produced, edited, and recorded by Anson Mount and Brandon Edgens. Theme music performed by Brandon Edgens based on a composition by Jonathan Myberg. Until next time, take care of yourselves and each other. <laughs>